Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Labor. Strife. Seeing things. I started the show today with a sense that things are changing. It sure is changing in the labor world. We've had a changing of power. We're seeing grocery workers flex their muscles. They want more. They're walking the streets. They're on the bricks. We've just seen the port strike cost Canada a lot of money. We saw the CRA strike. There is a sense that there is a new power to workers in Canada. And some are flexing it and others got to be waiting in the weeds. What is this new landscape? We're seeing Simon Black, an associate professor on labor studies at Brock University, joining us live. Simon, good afternoon. Good afternoon. What are we seeing here? I've never seen grocery workers go out on strike, but we've seen the trajectory of it going through the pandemic. And then um, they got extra pay, got taken away. We see how much we rely on them. We're also seeing this kind of power move in so many ways. Would you call it a labor revolution? How would you view it, Simon, in your studies? I think we're not there yet in terms of a, a labor revolution, but it is somewhat of a reckoning. I think for historical context, we're nowhere near the levels of strike activity we saw in the 1970s or 80s or mid-1940s. However, I think there's a kind of convergence of factors that have led to an uptick in, in strike activity. Um, the recent jobs reports suggest the Canadian economy's actually shed jobs, but we, we've experienced tight labor markets, relatively low unemployment, which means workers are less feel fearful of, of losing their jobs and more willing to make demands of their employers because there's no, there's, they know there's alternatives in the labor market. I think second, we've experienced uh, a, a period of prolonged inflation, which has only started to decline in the last few months. And workers have seen their real wages decline and their purchasing power has significantly eroded. The price of groceries, gas, housing, the cost of living has been skyrocketing. And yet corporate profits in some industries, including in grocery, has been robust. So I think there's good evidence that corporate profits and not worker wages have contributed to uh, disproportionately to inflation. But then third, as you mentioned in your comments just now, it was the experience of the pandemic. Essential workers, which include grocery store workers and port workers who are on strike in B.C., they continued to work on site at significant risk to their health throughout the pandemic. Their employers have done well in terms of their bottom lines, and they continue to do well. And now they're facing these employers at the bargaining table, and employers seem reluctant to reward workers for these sacrifices. So when you add it all up, record corporate profits, the cost of living crisis, tight labor markets, and uh, leftover kind of resentment and uh, anger from the pandemic, I think it's a recipe for strikes. It is. And somebody has to pay. How far do you think this is going to go? As you say, it is a reckoning. Is there going to be a correction there? The power structure of change, you could feel it right after the pandemic. And those who work in those industries, they feel it too. I mean, there are restaurants, as you know, I know in cities all across North America that cannot even open in the evening or on the weekends. I'm talking here from Atlantic Canada, some of the places I want to go to, they say, we can't open it night, there's nobody who will take those jobs. So we've got a, a different way of flaunting that kind of power, Simon. What, is it, what does it mean for the country here? Yeah, well, I think if we talk about, uh, when we talk about a labor shortage and certain sectors, uh, like the restaurant sector, 
looking for workers and not being able to find them. We have to ask, you know, what are the conditions under which people are going to accept work? If we want to see an industry uh, like the restaurant sector offering good jobs to people at livable wages with benefits, then I think a sector will have no trouble kind of attracting workers. The question is not if we have a shortage of workers, do we have a shortage of good jobs? Um, In other sectors, I think we'll continue to see as collective agreements uh, expire in in highly unionized sectors and industries, um, we're we're probably going to see more workers who are trying to catch up in terms of the cost of living and the loss of uh, their purchasing power and probably exercising their collective muscle via the strike and, and making demands of their employers, not only for better working conditions, but for, for wages that can help them, you know, pay the rent, afford the mortgage and, and, and uh, really just make ends meet at the end of the month. Perfect storm, as you describe it. And what does it do about people's mentality about work? It, does it make them, this, this power, make them feel differently about that employee-employer relationship, do you think? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, it can be very kind of sector-specific. But if, if workers um, are looking at these, these strikes that are kind of been high-profile in the last weeks and months in Canada, they can learn lessons from the experiences of other workers, even across sectors. You know, for unionized workers, they, they may look at a successful strike in which a union has made gains in terms of wages and better benefits and more job security. And they may think to themselves, well, you know, maybe, maybe we need to go on strike as well. But for workers who are not members of the union, they might be thinking, you know, maybe I need to join a union too. So, you know, it can have it can have what we call a, a kind of contagion effect in terms of strikes uh, that other workers can look to successful strikes and think that they need to go on strike in order to, to keep up with the cost of living. And then for non-union workers, including in an in industry like the restaurant industry, they might be thinking, well, you know, if, for me to, to catch up and to keep up, I'm going to need uh, to form a union in my workplace. So these are some of the impacts that it can have on the broader economy. And, and beyond these particular strikes that we've seen, like the Metro Grocery Strike or the Windsor Salt Mine Strike or the, or the BC Port Worker Strike. Simon, what struck you about the port strike? And uh, before we went to break, as I mentioned, we saw the a union say, OK, looks good. And then the workers going not so fast. That doesn't happen often. That's right, Arlene. It, and we've actually seen this in a, in a few labor disputes of late. Windsor Salt Mine, the BC Port Strike, and in Metro, the Metro Grocery Strike in the GTA. In all of those strikes, union members have actually rejected tentative agreements that were recommended to them by their bargaining committees and union leadership. And like you say, this is is relatively uncommon in Canada's labor relations regime. And I think what it shows is that workers have raised expectations and are, are willing to fight. And perhaps that unions uh, need to be more ambitious at the bargaining tables, given the cost of living crisis that workers are experiencing. I think there's other lessons from the BC port strike in particular, uh, also in the ways in which kind of politicians reacted to it and the way it, mm-hmm. was, it was covered in the media. Um, there was a lot of talk about the economic impact of the strike, and no doubt it did have a, a, an impact. It was on massive. The it was massive. Mm-hmm. It was. 
there was less actual talk about the economic impact of declining real wages on workers, of increased precariousness in their employment, the economic impact of contracting out good jobs in the uh, in the BC ports, what the e- economic impact was on the workers and what they were standing and fighting for. And, uh, you know, the federal government did kind of weigh in on the side of, of, of the employer in that strike in, in some kind of obvious ways and some not so obvious. But, um, you know, I think politicians who talk about growing or rebuilding the middle class, who are kind of lukewarm or downright opposed to workers' right to strike, um, kind of historically, we know there's no growing the middle class without unions and collective bargaining and potentially strikes as disruptive as they may be. And what we've seen in the past 40 years is as the share of workers in the economy has declined, um, the share of unionized workers in the economy has declined, then the share of market income really going to the top 1% and top 10% of income earners has increased. So we can't be concerned about income and wealth inequality Um and can't be concerned about the, the health of the middle class without also, you know, not being concerned about the health of our labor movement and our unions. Yeah, you know, it's a dilemma for governments, isn't it? It is a lot of money. It affects the whole country, as you were talking about uh, the workers, but it does affect the whole country. And it's adding up. You got to keep, you got to keep things rolling. And every single government, when we watch these kind of strikes that paralyze a certain industry, and let's face it, the supply chain has been just tried and tested and really stuck after and during the pandemic. So you can see that there's pressure on them. But uh, Simon, as, as you're saying, the, the workers are calling attention to things. And some of the many of the things that you talk about, too, have been things that have mentioned before. How much does the unemployment rate affect this? Because usually when workers are, dig their heels in, they have to know they can't be replaced. They have to know that they've got bargaining power. We've got a very low unemployment rate. How does that factor into this? Yeah, it does factor it into it a great deal. And not only in a unionized workplace, but also in non-union workplaces. So, you know, in terms of a unionized workplace, when workers go out on strike and unemployment is low, um, you know, what can happen is that, you know, when it comes to trying to replace uh, those workers who are on strike, an employer bringing in scabs might have difficulty doing just that, finding workers to cross a picket line and uh, act as replacement workers or scabs for those workers who are on strike and, and keeping that particular uh, workplace uh, business or whatever it is going. Um, but the, the kind of shortage of workers can also impact uh, non-union workplaces too. And you know, an individual, usually when they have a, a decision to make about whether they want to continue working for an employer in which they're not satisfied with the, either the working conditions, the benefits of the wages, their only real choice is to, is to exit, right? To leave that job, to, to go look elsewhere. And when there's more alternative jobs out there, then workers might feel a bit more confident in making a demand of an employer, even if they're not in a union for, for a better wage or better treatment, knowing that they might be able to cross the road and uh, get a job elsewhere. So it does have an impact. Um, but again, we've seen in the, in the latest jobs report from Statistics Canada, the economy actually shed jobs in the, in the, last, uh, the last month or so. So this period of uh, low unemployment might be coming to an end. And that's partly a result of the, the Bank of Canada's interest rate increases and 
trying to trying to bring uh, inflation uh, to a heel. It is. And let's talk about the political. You raised it, uh, you know, that in that the impression was that the government had weighed in on on the side of the company. Now, we have uh, politics connected with the labor movement. Simon, I was saying as I was teasing what we were going to be talking with you earlier in the show, it is an unusual time because now we have the conservatives going after the same union workers that used to be just the privy of the left here in Canada. How has that changed the power structure here? Yeah, I think that the in terms of the power structure, you know, labor in terms of politics, Part of the at least some of the labor movement has always had a very strong affiliation to the to the NDP. Um, I, I think that's changed in the last uh, the last decade or so. Um, I think I think more unions are taking a kind of what we might call a transactional approach to uh, to politics. Um, they want to get the the most um, regard for their members, regardless of of who's in power in government at the time. So. They don't want to be seen to be close to too close to one particular party or or, or another. Um, there's many unions who remain a very strong affiliation to the NDP, but the the Conservatives, in particular under Pierre Polyver, um, and and under previous under previous uh, leaders, at least at the federal level, have always have always had a very kind of hostile approach to. To, uh, to unions, to trade unions. But at the same time, they're, they're kind of talking up support for the broader working class. And really, that just doesn't jibe. It's, you know, if you're concerned about workers' wages, if you're concerned about working conditions, if you're concerned about precarious employment, if you're concerned about workers falling behind in terms of the cost of living, then again, you've got to be concerned about the health of the, health of the labor movement. So you can't have a politician uh, on one hand talking about they're the they're the new party of the working class, as as mm-hmm. some conservatives like to say, um, but at the same time, you know, wanting to limit or restrict uh, workers' constitutional rights to strike or to form a union. All right, Simon, we're going to have to uh, take a break in just over a minute. I do want to throw to you at the end here. What do you say? As you just mentioned, um, there could be an economic downturn. And they sure hope but they want us to go through a little pain to get that inflation down. How could this affect the, the urgency as we see these workers jump in? Could there be a fear that they could be losing their power? Yeah, indeed. I think that's I think that's a very real possibility. It could be like you, like you mentioned, Arlene, a kind of perfect storm right now in terms of for workers exercising their collective muscle via the strike. But if interest rates continue to have the impact in the economy that the Bank of Canada wants them to have in terms of slowing things down, um, then with rising unemployment, this could be a kind of fleeting window for for labor in this in this country to be exercising its muscle. And uh, if we do enter into a recession, whether it be a short one or a prolonged one, that will definitely have an impact on on how working people who are unionized, uh, how working people um, come to decisions about going on. All right. Uh, Because it's not an easy decision. No, none of it is easy. It's fascinating to watch. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. 
And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 